Hey friends, welcome to the His Beloved of Texas podcast. I'm Megan. And I'm Kendra, and we're two moms that live across the street from each other. And between us, we have 10 kids. We live life together, have fun, and we just want to share that with you guys. We are so glad you're here. On this podcast each week, we think everyone needs a little bit of hope. And we want to tell stories of hope, of how God has changed people's lives. He's shown up in good times and in hard times, and and He can show up for you too. All right, we hope you enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the His Beloved of Texas podcast. I'm Megan and we are so glad you are here today. We hope that you loved our episode last week with Kevin Kapczynski about St. Joseph. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. It blew my mind. Today we have another fantastic one. Instead of St. Joseph, today we get to hear about Mary and how she just chased down our guest and brought her right back to Jesus multiple times in her life. Uh, We have Christy Wilkins with us today, and she is the author of a new book, which we are so excited about. And she tells us a story of leaving the faith altogether and how Our Lady of Guadalupe kind of hijacked her and brought her right back. And um, just some deep suffering when her baby was diagnosed with a seizure disorder. And it's a very similar story to Mary Lineberg, if you heard that episode um, from the beginning of our podcast. If not, go back and listen to it um, because it has a lot of the same themes of going to Lourdes and hoping for healing and God showing up in ways they could have never imagined. Um, If you're going through a really tough time with your faith right now, this episode's for you. If you are suffering, this episode's for you. And if you just want to know the Lord in a deeper way, to experience his mother, to understand what that relationship looks like, this one's for you too. All right, guys, hope you enjoy. Hey guys. Hello everyone. Hi. Welcome. Welcome back to the His Beloved of Texas podcast. We have a fun, fun guest with us. Christy Wilkins is here today. And do you want to introduce yourself? Like what you've been up to, what you is coming up? I would love to introduce myself. <laughs> um, I am Christy. I am married to Todd and mother of six kids. And I have been blogging for myself for the last few years at faithfulnotsuccessful.com. Um, primarily around issues of disability and theology and kind of the intersection of adversity and faith. And um, I had written a lot in particular about a pilgrimage to Lourdes that we took with our son Oscar in 2017. And so the thing that is coming up, (laughs) Megan so graciously alluded to, is I have a book coming out with Ave Maria Press in fall of 2021 about that pilgrimage. That is so exciting. It is exciting. (laughs) Super exciting. So we're going to open up with a few questions, okay. some some fun questions. Um, so you are a very busy woman, blog, book, mother. How many kids so do you have? Six. Six. Kids. Six. Yeah. Fellow 15-passenger van driver. <laughs> well, I'm pretty jealous. Yours is blue. Mine's white. It looks like a Holiday Inn shuttle. It was, it was hard to find one that was not was white or black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But high five on that. Um, so amidst all of that, what fills up your tank? Reading. I know that's kind of a dorky thing. No, to it's say. not. No, no, I, no I, that um, my heart just was like jealous for a minute there. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I want to read. I uh, on my Facebook page at the beginning of January, I posted my Goodreads summary from last year, and I had read something like 85 books, and everyone was wow. like, "How did you do that?" And my answer is, I had to. It's the thing that sort of lets me reset my brain and yeah. gives me the space I need in our noisy, busy house and fills me with ideas that I can respond to and listen to. So, yeah. Do you but... have a specific genre that you... Oh, no, I'm into anything. <laughs> I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, my guilty pleasure is YA, especially dystopian Oh, cool. <laughs> but uh, but I'll read pretty much anything that anybody recommends. Yeah. <laughs> Do you read paper books or like Kindle or on your phone? You know, for a long time I was a paper purist, and I have been completely converted to my Kindle e-reader now. Um, yeah, I love it. It, you know, I can read it in bed while my husband's trying to sleep. I can take it with me everywhere I go and have three or four books going at one time. Yeah, um, there's it's not connected to the internet. There's no browser or anything, so it's just the books. Don't get distracted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I read a ton on my phone. I read more books on my phone, I should say, than in 
on paper <laughs> because I lose the paper ones or they're never where I need them to be. Right. Or like when I sit down <laughs> for five minutes with the baby, I can read five minutes versus mm-hmm. like having to go find a book. And yeah. But I love the idea of holding a book, like on a vacation, on an paper. airplane, like just holding, it hasn't happened in a long yeah. time, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I want no, that I, to happen. I definitely miss the sensory experience of holding paper yeah. in my hands, but the Kindle's just so convenient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might have to give that a try. I'm definitely a paper purist just because I'm not great friends with technology (laughs) and I think about reading on a phone and I think like a 100 page book has turned into 5 million pages oh the book I'm reading right now (laughs) is like it says like 1700 pages but I think it's probably like a 300 page book but yeah it's like zoomed in I could not do that I could not do that um if you what advice would you give to your 20 year old self Back. Oh my! Goodness. Whoa, that's a that's a hard one. <laughs> gonna Kendra's bring that on. Me. Got the heavy hitters today. Um, get ready to be surprised. I think, like I, like most twenty year olds, thought I had the whole world figured out. Thought I knew everything. Thought I was smarter than all the adults around me. And um, part of what I want to talk to you guys about today is all the different ways that God has surprised and continues to surprise me in my life and in ways that I just never could have imagined, was not ready for, didn't want initially. And Mm -hmm. so just, um, you know, be ready for the roller coaster and be open to whatever God has in store for you. That's good. That's a really good answer. My 20 year old self would be shocked to find my 38, 39, how old am I? 39-year-old <laughs> self, like, you're Catholic, you're what? Like, what's yeah, happening? Yes, yes, no, I have a very similar story. Like, you're Catholic, and you have six kids, and you homeschooled for how many years? For and real? Like, yeah, yeah, all of that. Yeah, That's so fun. So I can't wait to hear it all. That's good. Um, another question. If you could time hop to any period of time, any moment of history, Ooh. where would you go to witness? I feel like the obvious answer is Jerusalem while Jesus mm. was Ooh, yeah. ministering. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to go with that. I mean, I it's so cliche on the one hand, but on the other hand, I, I can't pass up the opportunity to actually walk with him and yeah. sit at his feet and hear his actual mm. words and see what he was like in person and how he related to everybody around him and how that transformed the community and the world. That's mm. amazing. I agree. Do you have a favorite moment in the Gospels? that like if, if you had to narrow it down to to a time would you one think? story hmm. I think um especially because of everything that I'm going to talk about here today I think one of the healing stories and probably mm. the story of the paralytic the, mm-hmm. the man who was lowered through the roof yeah um, one of the questions that I've been wrestling with a lot for the last few years is about Jesus's approach to healing in general, and something that I've realized in the last few years with the help of a lot of spiritual advisors is that a lot of times we think those stories are about, oh, it's great, this paralytic man got up and walked, and we miss the point that, no, no, Jesus forgave his sins first. He spiritually healed him. That Mm -hmm. was the point. And then Mm. he did the physical healing kind of out of exasperation because everyone else was giving him a hard time about the spiritual healing, (laughs) and he needed to, like, call their attention to it. And so I think... Being able to witness one of those moments and see the interplay between those two layers would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. I agree. The woman at the well, her mm-hmm. spiritual healing would yeah. be beautiful yeah. to see. Right. Oh, and yeah. the way, can you just imagine her like running back or the paralytic like running away with like this right. joy in their eyes? That yeah. oh, Especially after anticipating the Savior for so long, generation after generation mm-hmm. after generation, mm-hmm. and hearing stories and he's going to come. When is he coming? And he's right here. You know? <laughs> <This is it. laughs> super fun that's great last question yeah these are really very playful but i just that's okay (laughs) i was like we're gonna ask you silly questions to warm you up (laughs) what's your favorite way to pray i love adoration Mm, i love it so much and i have not gotten to do as much of it in the last few years as i wish and hope but some of the most pivotal moments in my mm-hmm. life have come in adoration and just sitting in that silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, given a choice, that is my number one favorite. Yeah. yeah. For Lent this year, I was thinking, um, I feel like God's calling me to do things with my daughters for Lent because like, they're still at this age where they really want to hear from me and listen mm-hmm. to me, and that's like may not last for a long time, right? 
And I think I want to take them to a weekly holy hour. Yes. Oh, that would be yes. Wouldn't that be great? It's transformative. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, there's something about like six weeks of Lent versus saying like, I'm going to take on an entire year of a holy hour. Like, I feel like we could do that. Don't you think? Like yes. once a week yeah. Yeah. and let them have that experience of the beauty of adoration. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Mondays, we're coming with you. All right. <laughs> I might bring my kids too. Wouldn't that be great? I don't know. I just feel like, but then part of me was like, but maybe I want to go by myself and not have children to take care of. <laughs> but they're old enough. They can figure it out. We right? can go during the day. Oh, okay. There's nothing that. wrong with two whole yeah. hours. Okay, that's a good, that's good point. Yeah, you get your time and then take them. Okay, Yeah. cool. That's true. Well, I am dying to hear your story. Um, so you said you're a convert? I'm a revert. You're a revert. Yes. Okay, ooh. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so we were just talking about whether she's going to like – what parts of the story she's going to tell us, and she's going to give us the big overview. Is that what you said? So yeah, I'm excited we're, we're about gonna that. We're going to go with the life story, the 10,000-foot okay. view. <laughs> What's super fun about this is we have, like, no expectations. All I know is I see the adorable pictures of Oscar on the internet. And yeah. I think he's the cutest thing he I've ever seen. <laughs> so him. I'm super excited to hear the story. Thanks. Um, I feel like the story I want to tell is the story mostly of my adult life, although it has roots in my childhood, obviously. Um, but... The story is really about learning to listen to the whispers of Jesus mm. and chase them as quickly and energetically as I can. Um, I feel like that needs to be on a shirt or something. <laughs> I know. I was like, seriously, I, I'm pretty sure. I said that, I got tingles. Yeah. That's the title of this episode, Chasing the Whispers. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, I want to chase there's the whispers. A, there's a great quote from St. Benedict that's about inclining the ear of your heart to oh, God. And I, yes. I think that that is... That's my love story with God. That's the story of my adult life. And um, the backstory, of course, is like I said, I was a cradle Catholic, baptized, first communion, the whole nine yards. There was a point at which my grandparents were convinced I was going to be a nun. Like I was really in it. And I, you know, hit my teenage years and just completely fell away. And my parents, God bless them. Um, walked with me through that, but also really honored my journey. So when the time came for me to get confirmed, I said no. Wow. And they said, okay. Um, And I really feel like that sets the stage for everything that came after, because if I hadn't had the power to choose, I don't know that I would have ended up where I am today. So I will always be grateful to my parents, both for the formation of faith that I had at home, but also for their willingness to let me struggle for a while and even kind of drown <laughs> in terms of my faith life. What hope, because you know there's people listening whose kids have gone through that. Right. I remember as a youth minister, whenever um, a student would sign up for confirmation and then the parents would come back to me and say, no, they've mm-hmm. chosen not to, to be confirmed. And mm-hmm. I still like think about those kids and pray for those kids and because it broke their parents' heart right. to go through that. But then to see you with this beautiful faith now and, and to have that like bit of advice that they let you work it out, like there's, mm-hmm. that's got to give somebody hope, you know? Well, and I will say for anybody listening, it took the better part of 10 years to work it out. Right, so it, it takes a not, while. It was not an overnight success story. Um, so I fell away from the church. Most of my college and young adult years, I wasn't practicing at all. I wasn't going to mass. I had no prayer life to speak of. Um I was working in San Francisco kind of at the beginning of the first dot-com boom, and that's where Todd and I met, actually. And he was raised really with no faith to speak of. Um, so when he and I got together and started dating, that was sort of like another chink in the armor between me and God, right? It was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm dating this guy who's completely secular, has no mm-hmm. faith life, no faith history. Um we went to graduate school at the University of North Carolina together, and it was like this deeply secular, liberal, postmodern environment where most of what we were doing all day, every day, had nothing to do with religion. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the seeds that was planted, actually. Todd, um, we both went initially for information science, and then Todd switched to sociology. And it was there that he first encountered um, a group of scholars who were working on sociology of religion. And so that was one of the that was one of the whispers. That was one of the yeah. ways that God started to kind of nudge the door back open, even though we were in this completely secular liberal grad program. All of a sudden, we were meeting not just people of faith, but intellectual people of faith, because mm-hmm. that was one of the things I had always struggled with. Is I sort of have this conception of myself as an intellectual person, and you can't 
have intellectual rigor and a faith life because those things are incompatible. I totally fell prey to that argument mm -hmm. as a teenager. And so that was the first time in both of our lives that we were confronted with people who were way smarter than we were and also had very active faith lives. Mm, yeah. um, even so, we got married in 2003 and we were married in a pagan ceremony. I mean, like, <laughs> we were married by a female Unitarian minister wow. outdoors <laughs> under a tree. Like it could not have been a more heathen wedding. We, I, I think maybe we said the word God once or twice, but I Can remember. Ceremony? Basically, I mean, yes. I remember thinking at the time that choosing to marry God was like a nail in the coffin with my faith life. I was like, okay, I am choosing to marry this man, even mm. knowing that there is no way on earth that he will ever set foot inside a church. So that's it. I yeah. guess I'm washing my hands of faith and I'm okay with that. I'm choosing Todd. Wow. Um, God laughed, obviously. <laughs> it's so funny to, to me. say about that. It's a little, like I see Todd as, you know, part of the troops of St. George and take you know, yeah. this beautiful Catholic man. <laughs> so that's cool. I mean, I'm excited to hear more. Okay, carry on. Yeah, this is fascinating <laughs> to me because you guys are such a beautifully solid. I know. Couple, like, uh, we have you goodness. all fooled. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, so I think the next step, there are a couple of important pieces that were still happening in the background. One is that my parents obviously continued their own faith life and my grandmother in particular. Was she praying for you? She was praying her guts out. The prayers us. of a grandmother. <laughs> Those are powerful prayers. <laughs> yes. um, and I am half Mexican on my mom's side. So this was my little Hispanic Ooh. abuelita <laughs> uh, with a great devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. As you say, that's probably And yes, exactly. So wow. Todd and I took our honeymoon in Mexico. And one of my favorite stories of my life is that we signed up for one of those like roadside tourist tours where they mm -hmm. put you on a bus and they take you to a bunch of places and they drive uh -huh. you around. From, what part of Mexico were you in? We were in Mexico City and Oaxaca, but okay. this was the Mexico okay. City part. So we signed up to go take a tour of the pyramids and we did that. And then on the way back, our bus driver kind of hijacked us. <laughs> like, we had signed up for what we thought was a pyramid. We're like, go to the pyramids, come back to the hotel. And what happened was we went to the pyramids and then he's like, oh, okay, we're going to go stop on my cousin's little roadside stand so you can buy some merchandise. And we're like, okay, fine. That's awesome. And he's like, oh, okay, we're going to make one more stop. We're going to stop at the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And oh my we're goodness. like, we're going to what now? I had never heard of I mean, Our only Lady of one of the most holy places right, on earth. Right, exactly. No, just <laughs> yeah. like a worldwide pilgrimage site that I had no, no clue what it was. <laughs> and so by this point, it's like five o'clock. We're starving. We are like, can we just go back to the hotel, please? No, no, no. He dumps us out of the bus and he's like, go, go see. So we went into the little original church and then. We went into the modern basilica where the tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe mm. is actually hanging on the wall. And they have this little moving walkway underneath it. So you just kind of stand on the walkway and you pass underneath it. So I just think it's so amazing that on our honeymoon, after our pagan wedding, we were kidnapped <laughs> by our tour guide <laughs> and taken to Our Lady. To Our Lady, like under the feet of Our Lady of Guadalupe, to whom my grandmother had been praying for my reversion the, for a decade. That's amazing. Best story I'm just visualizing ever. the walk, the moving walkway. Yeah. All everything about this story, you're totally hijacked. Even in walking towards <laughs> our lady. Like, towards none of this it's under amazing. our own power. Like, yeah. it was like, I can almost hear the music, like the elevator music. Like, do, 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 lady, here we go. She's just wrapping us in her mantle, whether oh, we know it or not. Beautiful. That's so beautiful because what um, Our Lady of Guadalupe says is, am I not your mother? Like, right. come to me. Yeah. I am your mother. I just like, love that. That's beautiful. Get it together, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, within a year and a half of that honeymoon, we were Catholic. Whoa. Yeah, it was that fast. Um, so it, can I ask yeah, me, you or Todd or at the same time, like whose heart was stirred? You, you were know, both Catholic in a year and a half. Amazing. I think I the mean, really amazing and beautiful thing is that we were stirred at the same time. Wow. Because wow. I don't know that if either one of us had really been pulling the other one, that it would have... Mm -hmm. worked and come together the way that it did. Um, 
like I said, we were having a lot of discussions with our grad school friends about faith and reason. And um, there was a Mormon family in particular that was really instrumental in their witness to us. And, you know, obviously they were trying to convert us to Mormonism, but Mm -hmm. they were really fervent evangelists and apologists in a way that we had never encountered before. So we had a lot of dinners with them. And this is this is one of those times where we were trying really hard to listen to the whisper because we both felt like there was something to this faith thing that we mm-hmm. needed to explore. There was something to this religion thing, but we we also felt a little bit pulled in different directions. Todd had a very close relationship with this Mormon friend of ours, and so he kind of wanted to go that direction. Um, we really limited ourselves to considering the religions that are sort of like an all-encompassing worldview. So Protestantism mm-hmm. and event, you know, like evangelicalism didn't really feel like a fit for us because we really wanted something that was like whole life. Wow. So Mormonism was appealing for that reason. Mm-hmm. Judaism was one that we actually talked about for the same reason. It had wow. like sort of the cultural and religious mm-hmm. trappings. You wanted to be together. all in. It was all in. It was wow. like all in or nothing. Yeah. Um, and then I was the one who finally reached a point where I said, you know, I was raised Catholic. I will always be Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so if we're really going to do this, I have to try it this way first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that was basically the beginning of the end. <laughs> that was, <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Um, so we were married in 2003 and our marriage was convalidated and we were confirmed in the spring of 2005 while I was already pregnant with our first child. Oh. And so I, I also kind of love that symbolism that she, you know, like I carried her and she walked with us through the last steps of that journey. Mm-hmm. It was hilarious because we had to go through the whole pre-Cana stuff for the diocese. And so <laughs> we're sitting married. there in like the wedding prep and I'm wearing a wedding ring and hugely pregnant. <laughs> like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. We're already married. We're married. We're That's awesome. That's too funny. Um, but really since that, since that summer, when we were confirmed and convalidated, I feel like the whole rest of our family life has been about trying to chase the whisper mm-hmm. and trying to just recklessly abandon ourselves to God's will in our life. Mm-hmm. And so from that moment on, um, <laughs> that's the point at which we started making a lot of decisions that other people look at and they're like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we went from planning a family of two kids, one of each, and mm-hmm. dual career, dual income to, well, Christy, maybe you should think about staying home, or maybe one of us should stay home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, well, maybe maybe we could have one more kid. Maybe maybe we could have another more kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we just kind of one more our way to six kids. Uh-huh. Um, and it was just this really slow awakening to the voice of God within each of us individually, but also as a family, it was a really interesting journey of learning to pray together and discern together mm-hmm. um, what was right for all of us. And it's it's hard to make decisions that work well when you have a family of eight people that work well for every single one of those eight people. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant battle of trying to figure out yeah. which decision works the best for the most of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everything from our family size to homeschooling to... Todd's career choices um, have just all been about trying to listen. Um, The next ridiculous story, this is this one is right up there with Our Lady of Guadalupe is um, after our fourth child was born, Todd had a very good, steady, well-paying consulting job in technology. And at that point, I was staying home with all the kids and we were homeschooling and Todd had mostly been working in consulting fields where he was doing a lot of like businessy stuff. So, you know, he was consulting for companies to like make a better widget or make them more money and was feeling kind of conflicted about that, given that our our faith was really the most important thing in our life. And so Mm -hmm. we kept praying, you know, God, is this really the best use of his talent? Is there something Mm -hmm. more that he could be doing in his career, not just in our home life, to build your kingdom. Mm. And then he stumbled across a job listing at Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. 
that was doing exactly the kind of design work that he was already doing for Fortune 500 companies, but doing it in a healthcare context to improve the patient experience and patient outcomes. Wow. And it, it really seemed like one of those answers where you've mm -hmm. been praying for this particular thing for a long time and then God just drops it in your lap. But it was in Minnesota. And by this point, my parents um, were still living in Wisconsin, but Todd's parents lived in San Antonio. My sister had moved to Texas. My brother moved to Texas. Mm. So we had, we had really put down good, strong roots here in Texas, and we had never intended to live anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so we started praying uh, novena about this particular job to St. Joseph. And I have to say, if you don't want an answer to a prayer, don't pray a novena to St. Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> Because if you do, you will get one. Um, so we just really were trying, again, to abandon ourselves and ask God, okay, mm -hmm. we're dense. So please make it abundantly clear mm -hmm. if we're supposed to do this thing. Make it so unmistakable that we can't miss it. And he just knocked it out of the park one thing after another. So the offer came in almost instantly. And then our house sold almost instantly. And then wow. when we went up to scout for houses in Minnesota, we met a whole bunch of homeschoolers who were part of the same Shinstock community that we had been part of in Austin. Wow. It was just like one wow. little answer after another that God was so clear. He was like shoving us out the door. Yes, you're supposed to go to Minnesota. Yes, yes, yes. So we moved to Minnesota. We moved our whole family up there. You did? Sold our house. Bought a house in Minnesota. Like, we're like, okay, we're in. We're, we're going to Minnesota. And as far as we know, we're not coming back. Like, this is it. This is yeah. the next step. And we got there and we were miserable. <laughs> and it was just shocking because it yeah. was one of the first moments where we felt like, God, we, we listened. We did exactly what we thought you wanted. Exactly. Yeah. We tried hard and we listened to everything and we weighed and considered and we discerned and here we are. And what mm -hmm. gives, what are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Um, and that whole year was really such a struggle for us. Um, and I think it was another really important lesson about how just because you're chasing the whisper and just because you're trying to do what you think God wants you to do, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Mm -mm. And so what ended up happening eventually is we moved back. Mm -hmm. And again, we prayed and discerned and we got some pretty clear answers that like, yes, if you want to move back, move back. Mm -hmm. Got a job lined up, our house sold, everything mm -hmm. like fell into place. Um, but that's one of those moments in our life story where I feel like we missed an opportunity to learn something. I think Todd mm -hmm. and I have talked about the fact that we will always wonder what, what was supposed to be there? What God had for us there that mm -hmm. we missed because we gave up too soon. Do you think I, I did a discernment, um, Ignatian discernment book with my high schoolers a couple of years ago and they were just, you know, they really wanted to be good at discerning and they really wanted to follow the will of God. And they would say questions like, well, how do you know? How do you know mm -hmm. what, what happens if you're wrong or what mm -hmm. happens if you make the wrong decision or, and I've heard people say that, like, if you step out in faith and you are doing your best to follow God's will, he's going to hold you. Like, he's going to catch you when you fall. He's yeah. not going to just be like, well, you made the wrong choice. Right. So sorry. Like, <laughs> you do made you... your bed, so lie. Right. Yeah. When you're, like, doing everything you can, it'd be different if you're making a sinful choice or, you know, but that's yeah. not discernment. But do you, do you think that that's the way that it works? That if you, Absolutely. I mean, obviously there's two choices, but he's going to still support you. Mm -hmm if you're doing your best to follow him, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think that that lesson in trust was a really huge and crucial one for our whole family, but mm -hmm. especially for our marriage and especially for what came after the Minnesota episode. Mm -hmm. Like God really just wants us to do the best we can mm -hmm. with what we hear. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we're always going to hear him correctly. And that doesn't mean that we're always going to act correctly on that hearing but I really think he does treasure our efforts Yeah. yeah in the same definitely. way that, you know, if our kid is trying to learn something new and they don't get it quite right the first two or three or half dozen or 20 right. times, we still value their efforts and we still honor and acknowledge the fact that they're trying to do the right thing. Well, a big part of that discernment is just the listening, right? Like the being close to him. Like right. you said, turning your ear towards him. Right. And that relationship that's built in that process. It's not always about the answer. Sometimes it's just about the togetherness, the journey, the journey yeah. with the Lord. Yeah. And, and just... it's, it's hard. 
it's hard though because you want to honor the Lord and you want to do what he desires and you know we know that you know we'll be greatly fulfilled when we are doing his will and um but the thing about God the Father is that he loves us immensely that he's going to love us there too, you mm-hmm. know? And it's not, I, I just think of Ellen's game of games. Have you seen that? The <laughs> I love Ellen's game of games. They make the, you know, say the wrong answer and then she pushes the button and down they go. Like, like six stories down, yeah. they just fall. <laughs> that's not how it works. Like God gave us free will. Like, well, if you're wrong. He's all merciful, all, lo- all loving, all knowing. And so the only way to discern is, is yes, we have to take a step in a direction and, and try it out and mm-hmm. see what happens knowing that he's with us. Mm-hmm. But so much of it, though, is that he just wants to know that we trust him, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the Abraham and Isaac story of True. like, just, yeah. Yeah. just <laughs> depend on me. Just yeah. to, like with everything you have, depend on me. Yeah. But that's hard. That's a good point. It's very hard. <laughs> it's not <laughs> well, easy. And, and, and two things. Like it, you can even make what some might call an objectively wrong choice, mm-hmm. and he'll still redeem that eventually mm-hmm. yeah. if you turn back to him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I don't want to say like he's gonna fix it, but he'll redeem it somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'll meet you where you are. Yeah. Definitely. Um. I forgot what thing two was, but it was really. really oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we were was, talking about when you came back <laughs> from Minnesota, you learned something. <laughs> Darn it! Sorry. Oh uh, yeah, no, it'll come back to me in five or ten okay. minutes. Okay. <laughs> um, so, oh, I remember now. Okay. Um. That so. You might make a wrong choice. He will redeem that anyway. The other thing, and I kind of said this earlier, is that even if you make the quote unquote objectively correct choice, it doesn't mean that he's going to protect you from suffering. It doesn't mean that there aren't yeah. going to be hard consequences from that choice. Yeah. And we we went back to visit our friends in Minnesota about a year or two after we moved back to Texas. And I was just walking you know, through the streets and through the buildings where we had lived while we were there and thinking about how we felt and what it was like. And I just, I had that realization, like, just because you're trying to do what God wants you to do, doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer along the way. In fact, usually it does mean you're going to suffer along the way. He promises that. (laughs) Yeah, he does. I used to think that if we were doing God's will, that meant it would be easy and there wouldn't be like hardships Mm -hmm. along the way. But Mm -hmm. And so I think that was the great lesson of the Minnesota story for us was realizing like, if you're doing God's will, it's not going to be easy. No. Yeah. Because the more spiritual attacks come and the more difficulties come and, and just life, life right. is suffering. Life is hard. And a good father disciplines and guides and with that guidance comes boundaries and, you know, all those different things. And that, I think that's just the way he loves us as mm-hmm. well as allowing us to go through those trials and stuff. Yep. So we moved back from Minnesota. Still had four kids at this point. Um, our fifth child... We call him our 10th anniversary baby. <laughs> it was a good weekend. Um, and at this point, we're, we moved into this um, crazy farmhouse. It's a beautiful house. It's 150 years old. It was built by German immigrants. So like, wow. we feel very fortunate to have this lovely, historic property. But on the other hand, it's 150 years old. It is falling apart. And we have five acres that are full of weeds. We've got kids out the wazoo at this point. We're trying to homeschool. So like, we're... You know, we're holding us together, but our lives are kind of messy and we're a little bit flying by the seat of our pants and holding on by our fingernails. And then I got pregnant again. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so that was another one of those moments of surrender. Mm-hmm. Um, that pregnancy was entirely unexpected. Yes, we know how it happens, but it was still a surprise. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, we're like trying to follow the whisper, like, okay, God, clearly you wanted this child in our family. And... He was born, his name is Oscar, he was born um, on the second Sunday of Advent, which is the Sunday dedicated to peace, which Mm. was a prayer that we had always had at the dinner table for a year, like, please, God, just please send more peace into our family. And so he sent us this baby on the the Sunday of peace. Um, His birthday is also the feast day of St. Nicholas, who is the patron saint of children. And then he was baptized on the feast of the Holy Family. So. All of those things felt like a little confluence of whispers, like, no, no, I really, I know what I'm doing. I trust you with this child. He is for you. Um, And then five months later, I was at a retreat for Mother's Day um, with my own mom and Oscar with the Dominican sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had a women's retreat on Mother's Day weekend. We were way out in the hill country. 
And this beautiful baby, our sixth baby, who seemed like an answer to all these prayers, had a seizure in my arms mm. on my lap after the nuns had just finished praying vespers. Wow. And it was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. But also, I felt so, I felt from the very first moment of that seizure, like, okay, God is getting ready to do something really big in our lives. And I don't wow. think I'm going to like it, but I know it's coming. Wow. Um, it was just really hard to ignore the symbolism mm -hmm. of literally being surrounded by praying nuns yeah. and yeah. my son having a seizure on my lap. Um, so we, you know, hightailed it out of there. It was like we had just sat down for the very first talk of the retreat. And my mom and I left immediately, wow. um, took him to Dell. They checked him out. They sent us home. They said a lot of kids have one seizure and they never have another one. Um, so that was on Friday. Saturday, we came home. Sunday morning, we went to Mass as a family, and everyone was all concerned and wanting to know how we're doing. We're like, oh, he's great. We just got back from Dell. They said he's fine. We sat down for Mass, and during the consecration, as soon as the bells rang, he had another seizure. My goodness. Wow. And at that moment, I was like, okay, God. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear you. I don't know what you're doing, but you are so clearly in whatever is about to happen, mm -hmm. just hold on to us because I don't know what it is and I don't know how we're going to get through it, but your hands are all over this, so you better figure it out for me. <laughs> wow. It's like Mary Lindeberg, Courtney had yeah. hers during her baptism. During her baptism. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I spent a lot of that summer really trying to still live with that reckless abandon. You mm. know, I... I did what I could to research all the things and find out all the trials and, you know, read all the articles and educate myself. Um, but I really was throughout those first few months trying to just rest in the very clear messages we had already received that God's fingerprints were all yeah. over this situation. Mm -hmm. um, this child was set apart and anointed yes. in some way. Wow. I do have to admit, though, that even throughout that summer, I I was wrestling with these thoughts of like, God, we were not ready for this child to begin with. Like, not yeah. only you Why? you sent us a kid, but you, not just any kid, but you sent us this kid. <laughs> like, yeah. we were dying already. We were drowning, and yeah. this is this is it. Okay. Um, Did he have seizures all summer long? He had seizures all summer long. We tried six, maybe seven different medications. He was um, still so little. He was, he was tiny. He was an infant and he was having not just one, but multiple types of seizures. And mm -hmm. there was one type in particular that had a very poor prognosis, mm -hmm. very limited treatment options. Um, and just nothing that we tried was working. Um, so around the time that our kids went back to school in the fall, I went to adoration, which, as I said, is one of my favorite things to do. And I was still really trying to hold on to my faith at that point. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those moments where God did not speak to me in a whisper. He, like, used a bullhorn and a trumpet <laughs> and a hammer. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I need that. Uh -huh. um, so I w went to adoration. And really, at that point, I was just trying to make the token effort. I was really struggling. And... Um, you know, our prayer life had atrophied considerably over the course of those really difficult months. But this was my, okay, Jesus, like, um, I'm going to just show up and we're going to have a little chat and that's all I can handle right now. And then I'll see you later. Mm -hmm. But I walked into the adoration chapel that day and it was empty and it's not supposed to mm -hmm. be empty. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's not good. You're right. I walked in and I saw empty chairs and I went, Okay. We're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna sit down. We're gonna have a chat. Now I have to stay until now someone I have else comes. Stay until someone else comes. Jesus clearly needs to talk to me about something. <laughs> um, so I sat and I started praying about everything but Oscar. Basically, just mm -hmm. trying to, I guess, shield myself. It's like, okay, Jesus, I love you and I adore you and thank you for being so good and thank you. Almost like a sing song kind of. Sure. Not meaningless, but there was mm -hmm. not really any heart in it. Um, 
there's one prayer in particular that I really, really love, and I especially love praying it in the Adoration Chapel. Have you all read um, Consoling the Heart of Jesus by Father Michael Gately? No, but I've heard about oh, it. You need to read it. Really? I okay. can't believe you haven't read it. Yes. Okay. okay. Put I've that read one on other your other books of his, but not that one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You write that down? Writing it down. Okay. Writing it down. <laughs> um, there is a prayer practice in there that I think has been talked about in other places too, but that's where I first learned it, um, where he uses a pattern of three moments, of kind of Marian moments. So first is Eche, just sort of like, behold your handmaid, Lord, here I am. Mm-hmm. I'm ready, I'm listening. So it's just this moment of stillness. Mm-hmm. And then the next moment is Fiat, mm-hmm. where she says, yes, I will do what you want. And the next is Magnificat, where you praise God for whatever he's given you. And so that was something that I had turned to frequently throughout my life, but especially over that summer. Um, The great thing about it is you tie it to your breath. And so Mm. the Eche moment is the moment in between your breaths where you're just being, you're just still. And then Fiat is an inhale where you're taking in whatever God has planned for you. You're taking in his will and trying to bring your will into alignment with it. And Magnificat is the moment where you're singing praise. You're singing his goodness and you're giving him back your joy at whatever he has sent to you in that moment. So I'm sitting there in the Adoration Chapel, trying to pray this prayer, Ece Fia Magnificat. And while I'm doing that, really almost against my conscious will, I started praying, please, Jesus, just heal him, please. Mm. Just heal my son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't actually gotten this worked up about this in a while. I'm starting to tear okay. up. Um, hey, you know a trick? If you drink water, you don't cry. Oh. Did you know that? I did not know that. It works. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry too. But for anyone who needs to stop crying, take a drink of water. It works every time. So I pray this prayer that I really did not mean to pray because I did not want to be vulnerable with Jesus mm-hmm. right then. And I, at the risk of sounding totally crazy, I have like, I actually have mystical experiences in prayer mm-hmm. sometimes, and, it, and mm-hmm. it often happens in adoration. And I had one that day. So I started praying this prayer and then I asked him to heal my son. And it was like the entire world around me disappeared. And the stained glass windows in the adoration chapel at our parish have scenes from like the Pietà and the crucifixion Mm -hmm. and the seven swords piercing Mary's heart. And it was like those windows came to life around me that day. Like the world just disappeared and I was, it was like living inside a nightmare all of a sudden, like all Mm -hmm. of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the torment of those scenes Mm -hmm. was just right before my eyes, all around my body. I could hear it. I could feel it on my skin. I could, it was like I was living inside mm. Mary's suffering. And it went on for what felt like an eternity, but it was probably only a few seconds. And then it just stopped. And everything went dark. And I heard Jesus' voice. And he said, this is your cross. I am not going to take it away from you. I will be with you. And I will help you. But this is yours to carry. Wow. And I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, from that moment, I would say for the next, what was that? September six or seven months of my life, I lived in utter darkness and just Mm. completely shut my heart to God. Um, and I say that now with, you know, kind of a smirk on my face because I, you know, I kept going to mass and I kept trying to pray and I, I was writing a lot about what I was experiencing, but there was no love in it at Mm -hmm. all. Um, From that, from that precise moment, I was like, okay, fine. You're not going to heal him. I'm done with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, I can't really say that because I have kids and I'm trying to catechize them and I don't want to tell them that everything I've ever taught them is a lie, but I don't love you anymore. Mm. (laughs) It was the most childish possible (laughs) reaction I could have had. Um, But just going I, through the motions at that point. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I was going through the motions. I was deeply wounded. I felt mm-hmm. betrayed. I felt mm-hmm. unloved and abandoned. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like, please fix him. No. 
That was what I heard. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, I, I like to hold that up as an example of what not to do <laughs> when you're praying to God. But that's just part of the process, right, is sometimes we fall into the despair, into that heartache, into the painful place, and it's yeah. so anger. Yeah, yeah, it's so hard. Like, I understand that fully because I kind of feel that now. Like, yeah. I get that. I yeah. really, really do. And the feeling of, like, your heart just being protected like you're protecting your heart for a while and it's hard to open up and receive yeah I get that and I that is such an apt description of what I internally experience like I have this very clear mental image of a barricade I built around my heart like I actually described it like a wall Mm -hmm. and like I took my heart and I built a wall around it and I put it inside a box and I locked the box and I put chains around the box and I put it on a shelf Gosh, and I that's to where hear I this lived. today. I yeah. think you're only here just for me. <laughs> Nobody else out there needs to hear this, just me. Uh, Carry on. Goodness, because I had that same image today. I right. thought, there's a wall around my heart, and I don't know how to take it down. It's yeah. just there. You can't. I can't. You can't. You can't. Um, so I will say the only... There are so many things I did wrong in the months that followed, but... I think the one thing I did right is that I did not walk away completely. Mm-hmm. And so, Megan, I think maybe that's the encouragement I can yeah. give to you today is just hold on. Keep the door cracked. By your teeth, like by yeah. your fingernails, by whatever, your pinky, like whatever yeah. it is, just <laughs> don't let go because mm-hmm. he has something for you and he's going to reveal it in his time, not yours. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he does. Mm-hmm. And he loves you, and he sees you right where you are, and he's mm-hmm. gonna redeem it somehow. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're speaking like right to my heart today. That um, <laughs> I think what I d- discovered today is to go to Mary in those times. Yeah, because mm-hmm. she's been trying to hunt me down for a while, and I'm like, yeah. stay back, stay back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all of your story, like, it's just yeah, yeah, keep going. You're just yeah. Completely so that's literally what I did. Is I went to Mary. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I, I really, my response was to keep grasping at the things that I could do and the things that I could control. Gosh. And so one of the ways I did this, kill me. <laughs> uh, you know, I had read um, Mary Lenneberg's story mm-hmm. um, because Courtney had actually, <laughs> this is such a funny connection. The date of Courtney's death was exactly one year um, before Oscar's baptism on the Feast of the Holy Family. Oh, so wow. I, I sometimes like to think about Courtney as Oscar's like auntie in heaven. Oh, <laughs> like they have so many that. little parallels between their stories. They do. And I feel like Mary was definitely, um, I can't even just say an inspiration. Like I don't know, I don't know what the right word is. Like yeah. she blazed a path for our family in, mm-hmm. in yeah. so many ways. Um, I actually I met her at a retreat later that spring and ambushed her in the parking lot and ugly cried all over her shoulder (laughs) that was was my introduction with Mary Lenneberg Um, she was so sweet and so gracious and she just spoke so much love and truth into Mm -hmm. that hurting moment for me Um, Mm -hmm. she she is a great gift in my life Um, but one of the things that I learned about through reading her blog was about this pilgrimage to Lourdes with the Order of Malta. And so that was the next thing that I grasped at because nothing else had worked. We did finally manage to get his seizures under control with a super scary medication and super complicated diet. Um, but I was like, okay, this is not enough. He's not fixed. What am I going to do to fix him? Because yeah. God's not going to fix him, so i got to fix him. Yeah. Um, and so we applied for and were accepted to the same pilgrimage that the Lennebergs took with the Order of Malta to go to Lourdes. And I approached it <laughs> with not quite the same like attitude of joy and <laughs> you know uh, wonderment that Mary did. I, for me, it was like a test. Mm-hmm. Um, it was God's last chance. Mm-hmm. both with me and my faith and also with Oscar. I was like, okay, are you a miracle worker or are you not? Because yeah. I have some broken things here that need fixing and it's not just my son. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to Lourdes and I took Oscar in the bath and he was not fixed. And I knew he wouldn't be. Like God had told me, obviously mm-hmm. he was not going to be fixed. But still there was something in that moment that was just utterly heartbreaking for me. I walked in, 
it was a Friday. We had just been praying the the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary and the agony in the garden. And I was sitting outside the bath waiting to go in, asking for this cup to be taken away. And I walked in and I put him in the bath and I walked out and the cup was still there. Mm. Um, and so here I am again in one of the holiest pilgrimage sites in the world, not really understanding what is happening to me as it's happening. But again, it was the intercession of Mary who was working behind the scenes without my knowledge yeah. <laughs> or consent. <laughs> Another moving walker. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, in a lot of ways, yes, because yeah. so much of that pilgrimage experience for us was about being vulnerable and allowing ourselves to be cared for and literally to be carried to this place mm. and lowered into the water and brought back out again by someone else's power. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so... After the baths, I had about 24 hours of just like, okay, I'm it. that's it, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of that pilgrimage, within the next three days or so, God had restored everything about my faith life. Wow. wow. You were healed. I was healed. Wow. And so... This is the book that is coming out with Ave Maria Press in fall of 2021. It's oh. it's a little bit about the whole journey, but really it's about Oscar and Lourdes. And the title is Awakening at Lourdes, mm. How an Unanswered Prayer Healed Our Family and Restored Our Faith. Oh, an unanswered prayer healed exactly. our family. Exactly. That's like, beautiful. God, God's no was there for a reason because mm-hmm. he needed to show me something different instead. Mm-hmm. He needed me to see that the spiritual healing was the important part and that learning to trust him again was the important part. Um, the really crazy part is that Oscar was healed. We came home and he saw his neurologist and all of his therapists and a bunch of his doctors in about the first week or two of us coming home and he was a completely different child wow wow every single person who saw him said it yeah um before we went on pilgrimage he really didn't communicate didn't babble and how old was he whenever? he was about 18 months at the okay. time okay he didn't gesture he would make eye contact he would smile sometimes he would laugh but really he kind of lived in his own little world a lot of the Mm -hmm. time. He was very hard to reach. He was very hard to motivate. Um, Physically, he had a hard time supporting himself. You know, we've been crawling along with his therapy goals, kind of the same set of goals for the better part of a year. And he was just making really slow progress. Some progress, not none, but it was just Mm -hmm. agonizingly slow. Mm -hmm. And we came home from Lourdes and within the space of that week, he um, he started sitting up straight. He started playing peekaboo. Wow. I mean, he wow. went from like almost not being unresponsive, but like if you smiled at him, he would smile back. That was it. We had tried peekaboo over and over and over and over again as a therapy goal. Yeah. Nothing. He did not understand how to play peekaboo. He started playing like he'd been doing it all his life. Wow. Um, I took him to see his neurologist and she immediately commented on how upright he was sitting, how bright his eyes were. She said his name and he looked straight at her. She was like, that's new, isn't it? And then she sat him up on the examination table and he sat like ramrod straight. He wasn't slouching or moving to one side. And and she said, Oscar, you're sitting up so straight. That's great. Yay. And she clapped her hands and he moved his hands together. He took his own hands and clapped back at her. Wow. And she looked at me like, (laughs) what the heck did you do to this child? (laughs) And so... Um, it's, it's another one of those moments of healing, right? Where we went on this pilgrimage and God took my broken heart that had been smashed to pieces. Like I had tried to lock it in a box, but it, Mm -hmm. it was smithereens. It was dust. Mm -hmm. And he put it back together with muscle fibers and beating cells. And I couldn't quite trust it, even though I knew my own experience of it. And so he used my son and he said, okay, look here look yeah look what i have done for you and so you know oscar today he wasn't miraculously healed mm-hmm. the lords we didn't go in and come out with a completely different child he is still exactly who god created him to be yeah we still have the cross i'm still carrying it mm-hmm. jesus is with us so nothing 
that was fundamental to Oscar changed on that trip. The only thing that changed, it's like God tweaked him just enough mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to open my eyes. It's almost like he awakened him. I know that's the title of your exactly. book, but it's like he came alive. He awakened Oscar you, so that so that you could be so awakened. that I would be awakened. Wow. wow, that's cool. And it's like all the healing stories in the gospel, right? It's like Jesus yeah. does the physical healing to get everybody else to pay attention. Yeah, to mm-hmm. the really important stuff that's happening. Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, and, and like you said, like the suffering's not over. The journey didn't end then. And all of a sudden everything's sunshine and rainbows, but like he's walking that journey with you. Yes. And giving you something to hold on to. That's really what he said to me in the chapel that day. I thought he said, no, Mm -hmm. that's not what he said. He said, I will be with you. I will help you. And he had been doing that all along. Hmm. He was doing that with our community. He was doing that with the Knights and Dames of the Order. He mm-hmm. was doing that with our priests. He was doing that with our medical doctors. And I didn't see it. I couldn't see it. Hmm. Wow. That's amazing. And now you are a dame, right? I'm a dame, that? yes. <laughs> Speaking of following the whispers. Um, Share a little bit about that because I know we also have some listeners who aren't Catholic. Yeah, explain a little bit what what that is. (laughs) (laughs) I am Catholic, and I'm not really sure I know what it is either. (laughs) So the Order of Malta is a lay order. Um, It has its roots actually in the time of the Crusades. That's what I thought. It's almost 900 years old. Um, And it was founded by Blessed Gerard as a way of taking care of pilgrims to the Holy Land who were sick or needed assistance otherwise. So Oh, is this like what because it was so dangerous to go on pilgrimage during the crusades is that when they started it was to get people from kind Europe of. it to was the... actually to take care of people in jerusalem who in jerusalem were okay or, gotcha yeah. okay um but the two primary charisms of the order are to defend the faith and to care for the poor and the sick and so the lord's pilgrimage is one of the major things that they do mm-hmm. um to care for the poor and the sick but they also do humanitarian works all over the world so oh, that's beautiful there are lots of different associations everywhere from South Korea to Australia to here in the U.S., France. It's a worldwide organization. Um, it actually has diplomatic status, which is kind of interesting. Like wow. They're not quite a sovereign nation, but they have their own hmm. passports and currency, and they have observer status at the U.N., so it's just this really interesting, interesting organizational so interesting. Um, quirk. So... Um, there, there are a few different levels of membership. I'm just a lay member, and, and most of the members are. You can also volunteer without being a member, um, but it means that I have made a promise to, um, you know, to do my best to serve the order's goals. So here in Central Texas, we're working on some service projects with places like St. Louis House. Um, we've done some stuff with the retired priests, and then. Um, the Lord's Pilgrimage. There's actually another pilgrimage that we started in the U.S. with all three of the American associations. So there's one based in New York, one based in D.C., and one based in San Francisco. And every year, all three of them take a pilgrimage to Our Lady of Good Help in Wisconsin, oh, which is cool. our own little Marian mm-hmm. miracle yeah. here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's just another layer and another way of me trying to say yes to God and trying to say mm-hmm. thank you and to pay back and pay forward. Uh, a tiny, tiny bit of the great gift that we've received at Lourdes. Wow. And it's really interesting, too. Um, I've been back on pilgrimage as a volunteer since the one we took with Oscar, and it's so fascinating to me how many members of the order or even just people who go back to volunteer went there first as mm. pilgrims to be healed. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Malad is the word that they use for those pilgrims, the sick people who come to mm. Lourdes. And so many, many, many members of the order are either they were Malads themselves or they were a family member of a Malad or mm-hmm. yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. That's beautiful. Oh, I want to go to Lourdes one day. You definitely yeah, should. France. <laughs> well, Tessa is a French baby, according to oh, Esther. Yes. I mean, she's not really, but Tessa, yeah. she, she belongs to the French saints, mm-hmm. according to Esther. So <laughs> I think that means we have to take her to France someday. I think so mm-hmm. too. Maybe Esther can show us around. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? So fun. Well, my goodness, you gave us, I think I'm going to have to go back and like really yeah. process this. When I'm editing, I'm going to be like bawling my eyes out. <laughs> but there's just so much that you said that just speaks to the heart of suffering and speaks to the heart of trust mm-hmm. and to the just way me. that God pursues and the way that Mary helps him, like the way mm-hmm. that she serves him in that aspect of like, when it's too hard for us to go to God, she's sitting there going, I'm your mom. Right. I love you, yeah. and I want to help you too, you know? Yeah. Well, that's an important point to make too, is that even when I was really struggling with Jesus and with God the Father, 
I still found comfort in mm, Mary and in that relationship mm. because she knew, she knows what it's like she to knows. suffer tremendously. And she was fully human. I mean, Jesus is fully human too. Yes. But Mary was only human. Mm-hmm, and right. so having a model of suffering and love like that when you're in a dark place, it's just so mm-hmm. important. I totally agree. I think sometimes we put her on this like perfect pedestal of like, She's sinless, and of course she is, but she's also like so real and so human too. Yes. And I think have we talked about Broken Mary at all on the podcast? No, we haven't. Oh, Broken Mary. Have you, have you heard of her? Um, it's a, a statue that was found by a guy. I don't even know his name. He's like a shock jock radio, like worked for Howard Stern, kind of radio disc jockey in Chicago. Like really famous guy, and not following his faith, didn't. Um, you know, he's Catholic, kind of a name only kind of guy. And all of a sudden he started praying and he felt like God was saying to go get flowers for his wife. And so he stops at this flower shop and he walks in and then God says, no, no, go around to the back of the building, to the dumpster. And he's like, why am I going to the dumpster? And he goes back there and there's a statue of Mary laying on the ground and she's broken in half and she has no fingers and no nose. And he hears, like, I think Mary even speaks to him and says, take me with you. And he's like, what? (laughs) And so he goes inside and says, hey, you have a Mary statue outside in your dumpster. Can I have it? And the lady that's running the flower shop is like, no, no, no. That was our family heirloom. You can't have it. And he's like, but it's in the dumpster. Like, I want to take care of her. Like, I like her. I want to love her. Let me take her. And so they go back and forth a few times. And he finally says, okay, I'll, he like bribes her. I'll, I'll give some money to a charity if you'll let me have her. And so she does. And um, anyways, it's like the whole story of him, like learning how to take care of this Mary and what it means in his life. But basically the point of all of it is that like Mary comes to us looking like her people. So like in our, yes. in Mexico, yes. she looked oh, Mexican, that. right? And yeah. in Nigeria, she looks Nigerian. And so broken Mary comes to us broken mm-hmm. because oh. we're so broken. Mm-hmm. And so he put her back together and he didn't fix like her nose and her fingers. He just, you know completed her body and now she's this she goes around as pilgrimage to people and there's been all these beautiful stories but that was a big turning point for me was thinking about broken mary because mm-hmm. i needed mary to look like me yes i didn't need her to be perfect and i mean i love our lady fatima and i love our lady of lords but the broken just hit me mm-hmm. you know so have you um been listening to the catholic bible in a year podcast i have kind of i mean i'm like okay. half yeah. of them <laughs> no i i love, I love that it, father mike keeps bringing up that theme of brokenness and it just seems like yes all that is the... the message for us today is yeah. that the brokenness is there yes and yes you have to wrestle with it and yes you have to do your part to try to i don't want to say fix it but like you have to work, mm-hmm. but also God is going to meet you there. Like yeah. if you bring that to him and make yourself vulnerable mm-hmm. and actually show him your wounds, that's where he wants to meet you. That's where he wants to love you yeah. in the places that you're most afraid to show him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't hide the wounds from him right. because he knows they're there anyways. Right. He exactly. wants like, to be open to that grace. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's beautiful. Oh man. We could keep talking all day, but I know, I know. <laughs> our children would like to be picked up from school someday. Yeah, <laughs> would they, though? Like, oh, it's Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> That's exciting. Wow. Christy, right. thank you so much for sharing your heart and just being vulnerable with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I know definitely touched us. Thank you so and much for the so many for the chance to and be here. And I can't wait for your book to come out. Yeah. <laughs> Kendra and I are pretty good at throwing book launching parties. Oh, yes. so you've got a book launching party yes. <laughs> in your future. We will make you a cake and some cookies that look like your book. Yes. <laughs> and other I fun exciting We've been known to get a little creative with it. We have. <laughs> so whenever you're ready, you let us know. We'll share it with our His Beloved people. And I'm sure the marketing team at Ave Maria Press will be very happy to know that too. <laughs> They're like, I've got a cake coming. This is what I can do for you. All right, guys. Well, this is beautiful. I hope you guys spend some time in prayer after this conversation mm-hmm. and um, focusing on the brokenness and where God's calling you and listening to those little tiny whispers because and he's pursuing you. Chase him. Chase yeah. them. Don't be afraid of them. Chase them. That's awesome. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Okay, friends, so how many of you had to stop and take notes, go back and rewind, and really pray into this episode to think about 
where is God calling you? Where is Mary trying to say, hey, this is hard for you. I know it's hard for you. Going to the Lord might be too much right now, but I'm here and I can draw you back to my son. Because remember, that's what Mary does. That is her whole goal is she never takes any of the limelight. She never takes any of the credit. It's always to point people back to Jesus. I heard a Dominican sister say one time, every time we say Mary, she turns our heads straight to Jesus and says, Jesus, Mary, Jesus, Mary, Jesus, and just goes back and forth. And I just picture her just gently turning my chin back towards him every time I call her name. That's what she wants to do for you too. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend. We are having so much fun hearing from you guys and how much you're enjoying this podcast. So please share it on your social medias. Um, Send it in a text message to anyone you think might enjoy this. And if you can, leave us a rating or review on Apple or whatever um, podcasting system you listen with because that really helps people hear about our podcast. And guess what? Lent is coming soon. I hope that you are spending some time in prayer and really leaning into the Lord and hearing what he has for you this Lent. And we have a fun Lent series coming up. This is our first series on the His Beloved of Texas podcast, and we can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. All right, guys, have a great week. Bye-bye.